0: Well, it is great to have you with us tonight. We are having a special time of a celebration of Easter. You got experienced a little bit of that just a few minutes ago. That's going to continue for the next couple weeks. But we're also going to have a very unique opportunity at our exploring service to invite maybe friends who are unconvinced or skeptical about faith the next three weeks as well. So, if you've been looking for an opportunity for somebody to come face-to-face with the message of Jesus, I would just encourage you, the next three Sundays are going to be pretty critical. Meaning, tomorrow, uh, we're opening up with some Bon Jovi, uh, Dead or Alive, and some uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight to describe the experience of Joseph Arimathea. Then, about eight, every 18 months, we bring in an artist who paints while I'm speaking. That's going to be on 320, as we describe the, the uh the centurion at the cross and what he saw of Jesus dying, what that did with him, with some Peter Gabriel uh, red rain. So if you're looking for an opportunity for that, invite a friend. The next two weeks are really going to be critical. And then it sets us up to Easter. So Easter services are doing six services this year. And so if you have not gotten tickets yet, they are complimentary. But we do need you to get tickets because that helps us organize the different services to make sure everyone has a spot because we want to make sure all of our guests have spots. So uh, after service today, if you want to head out, go over by the fireplace and there's a place to get tickets there as well. Uh, lastly, I want to introduce our, our uh, speaker tonight. Um, if you grew up in my hometown, there were sort of these two, uh, two guys who were always ornery, and everybody in the church always prayed for them, wondered if they'd do anything good with their life. And it uh, turned out that uh, it was my friend Matt and I. Uh, we both ended up going into ministry. We both ended up feeling called to uh, talk about the Bible, despite the fact that uh, a lot of people prayed for us growing up. So can we give a warm Horizon welcome to my friend Matt? Matt, come on up. Well, it's great to be
1: here. Chad, you were very kind. You could have shared some really interesting. But I have 30 minutes. I could have longer to share for that kind of stuff. But it's just great. It's great to be here this afternoon, or I guess I should say this evening. And normally I would be preparing for uh, the church that I pastor in Martinsville, Indiana. How many of you have ever heard of Martinsville? That's some of you actually have. I was all ready for my joke to say that's pretty much normal. Nobody's ever heard of, of Martinsville, but it's a, it's a small town in southern Indiana. In fact, if you go about 30 minutes south of, of Indianapolis and about, if you're familiar with the geography of, of Indiana, about 20 minutes or so north of where IU is, Bloomington, Indiana, you'll run straight into Martinsville. It's sort of a, a, the typical southern Indiana town. and Oh, I just love it. I've been there for just a handful of years. As lead pastor before there, I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana for about 16 years as a, as a student ministry pastor in a, in a couple of different churches, but but I just love doing what I'm doing, and I'm able to come back here and, and uh, be with you guys, and we often don't, uh, Chad and I, get to talk a whole lot in terms of face-to-face, and uh, our, our weekends are kind of busy, you know, when it comes to being a pastor, and, and holidays and things like this are, are sort of reserved for, for families, so it's definitely great to, to be here, and... The church that I pastor is a, it's a unique church in, in many ways. Many people use it, uh, for a, I guess a bedroom community, maybe might be the right, the right term, and, and, and they work in Indianapolis or they work in Bloomington, and then there's people who are, I guess I would say, from the town, and their parents are from the town, and their grandparents are from the town, so we just have a lot of diversity. I call it the, the church of misfit toys. And, uh, we just have a lot of interesting sort of dynamics going on in our church. We have, we have doctors and lawyers, and they're rubbing shoulders with somebody who, who's on food stamps and works at McDonald's or Walmart, and it's just, Jesus is the common denominator when it comes to our church, and we break a lot of the rules and molds and, in terms of how you should do church, but, boy, God has really blessed us over the past few years. We've been, we've been growing, people have been coming to faith, people have been expressing obedience in terms of baptism, there's been life change, and, and there's just uh, some incredible things that are, that are going on, but it's it's... I don't think even I can mess it up, you know, when it comes to that type of thing. It's definitely just a God thing. My, my wife and son are here. There they are. They were, they were, I thought, going over to the children's ministry, and I thought my wife would have got lost in the ball pit or something like that if you, if you had that. But I've been married to my wife Tammy for 21 years, and my son Cameron, he is nine, about ready to turn ten. He's in the fourth grade, and, and he's a joy. And, and as a reward for that, he gets to hear me twice this weekend. And so, but uh, what you've been doing, so what I've heard is, You've been spending some time in the book of of Exodus for the past couple months and looking at Moses and his life and and God delivering his people out of 400 years of bondage and slavery. The last few weeks, you've been on this teaching series called Ready to Rumble where you've been taking a look at what I just think is one of the most fascinating pieces of Scripture in all the Old Testament, the plagues of the judgments. And, and what is God is doing? He's, he's just turning up the heat on Pharaoh. And and each one of these plagues, is, they're so unique but they're targeting uh, a specific God. And God is basically saying... I'm more powerful than you, I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than you, I'm bigger than you, you know, you, you can trust me and there's just some interesting things that are going on through these ten plagues and the, the tenth plague obviously is the one that's Sort of everybody knows it's the, it's the plague of the, the death of the firstborn and the death angel. And you'll be talking about that, I'm sure, over the next couple weeks. And the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And obviously for, for Jesus followers, that's a big giant arrow, you know, to Jesus. But all the other nine plagues, they, they come in waves of three and they're just unique. And each of them have a, have a message. They're, they're, they're speaking truth. They're speaking truth to Pharaoh. They're targeting God's people to, to speak truth to them, to, to Moses and, and to the Egyptians. And it's just, a, it's just a fascinating piece of scripture. And so we're actually going to look at two plagues actually this afternoon. And the third plague, which is the plague of lice, and the fourth plague, which is the plague of, of flies. And so I get the creepy crawly ones. And, and uh, at my church, I always give them sort of a, a note outline. In fact, if I don't give them blanks to fill in, their heads may spin off. And so... I'm going to give you sort of the message that God is sending, if you'd like to, full, to fill in the blanks. Here's our key thought for this afternoon. Only God can free you from the guilt that haunts your heart and the fear that hinders your life. Through the, 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 the plague of the life, he is saying there's some, there some guilt that haunts your heart, and there's a message there. And also with the, the plague of the flies, there's, there's a fear that can hinder your life, and I'm going to take these things away. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 8. If not, I believe it's going to be on the screen behind me. I'm just going to simply let the scripture speak for itself. I'm going to start in verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand and with his rod struck the dust of the earth and it became lice. On man and beast, all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the magicians, as is verse 18, so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Now, that's significant. The first two plagues if you were here, I'm sure you remember, the plague of the, of the blood of, of the Nile turning to blood. They, they could duplicate that, at least on a miniature scale. Like the plague of the frogs, they could multiply the frogs a, on a miniature scale. This one, they can't do. In fact, even the magicians, they admit this, they say this: "This is the finger of God. This is the fingerprint of God. This is, this is unique. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. Just as the Lord had said. And so we have some life lessons here. Not life lessons, but life lessons here this, this afternoon. But, and, and here's the first one. Only God can make you clean. The God that's being attacked here or the God that's being confronted is this God by the name of Set. S-E-T. And Set is the, the God of the desert. He's the God of storms and disaster. But probably what, probably what Set is best known for, he was the, the friend of the dead. How many of you have ever seen the mummy movies with Brandon Fraser? You've seen those things, right? I mean, if you know anything about Egyptian mythology and that culture, they were just obsessed with the afterlife, you know, and the mummies and and tombs and all that type of different stuff. Well, Set was the guy. He was the advocate. He was the guy who would go go before you as an usher. He 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 was a friend of the dead. The problem, though, with Set is that you had to be clean. You had to be... Going through this, these various rituals of ceremonial washing and ritualistic bathings and, and, and different things like that, because you couldn't have any lice, any bugs, any kind of impurity. And the Egyptians, in many ways, they were they were sort of neat freaks. You know, they were germophobes. In fact, here's probably a good example: when Moses was not shoved, but when he was sent down the Nile as a baby in the basket, what was Pharaoh's daughter doing? She was taking what? A a bath, right? I think Moses' mother knew that this was just a ritual that they would do. They were just, they were neat freaks. They were neat knacks. and was, I don't think it was an accident that Moses' mother knew. Hey, Pharaoh's daughter, she just does this ritualistically, and and they, they have all them. They're clean, and so let's just send Moses down on the river there, and and she's going to find him, right? And so the idea that they couldn't get rid of this lice is this this thought that they're, that they're they're dirty, right? Now, Chad, we went to elementary school together, and every so often, I don't know if you can remember this or not, we would have lice checks. Yes, yeah, so we'd have these lice checks, and Mr. Seidel, our principal, would come in, and with his administration, I forget her name, and, and uh, they'd have the gloves they would wear, you know, from the lunch ladies, and they'd have these toothpicks, and I never once heard them say, come over here, you've got to check out what this lice looks like on this kid's head. I mean, they're not going to do that, because they don't want to embarrass them, right, but Ever so often, there would be kids after lunch just wouldn't come back. You know, they just they just weren't there, you know. And so we, we kind of got the picture of who had the lice. And, and, and the reason why, they didn't want to embarrass them, but they didn't come back. They give them the red shampoo, and, you know, they're, they're back the next day. But it's the idea of being dirty, right? And you can't have the, the God that is the, the friend of the dead and, and be dirty, and here's, here's the second point here in this life lesson. It's only, not only God can make you clean, but there's also there's no other considerations. There's nothing that you can do. The priesthood. There's also perhaps even attack on the, on, on the priesthood. Not just this God set, but, but the priesthood just in general. Because if you can imagine, if, you, if you've seen the movies or if you're familiar with a little bit of the Egyptian culture, all the priests would shave their heads. It wasn't a fashion statement. It was, it was a practical you know, type of a thing because life needs a home, right? And so not even shaving their heads and going through all these different rituals and ceremonial baths and things like this would would be able to free them from their, their dirtiness, right? All these different things they considered. When I was in middle school, there was about a four-year or so uh, stint of period of time. Not that I was in middle school for that long. Let me get that straight. But... In the summer, the last week before we would go to school, we would get together with my my mother's side of the family. My, my grandparents were there, my aunts and uncles and cousins. And we would go up to this state park in northern Indiana called uh, Pokagon State Park. And we just would spend a week of just swimming, hiking, biking, doing all kinds of different stuff. And we did that for about four years. And I was around middle school at that time. I had just great memories, but... I was around 12 or 13 or so, and during that summer I had gotten to a very a very bad habit of getting up late. And so my mom was determined that you know, my, the last week of summer she was going to make me get up early because she didn't want to fight the battles, you know, of getting up for school, and the buses at the end of the lane, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so what she told me, she said, Matt, we're staying at the Pottawatomie Inn, I can still remember the name of it, and, and a free brunch comes with your room. And you can, you can get up at, I mean, at the very last moment, but you have to eat that brunch because we're not going to eat lunch and we're going to go out for an early supper. And so if you don't get up, the only thing I have for you, and this is when Sam's Club just start, started, but she went and got these cheese crackers, these Cheez It crackers, right? She just bought them by bulk and she bought them for everybody, all my cousins, all my aunts and uncles, my grandparents. And so, I mean, it was just, it was huge, you know? And, well, I, I kind of had my own little agenda. You know, I wanted to stay up late with my cousins and play board games and all that kind of stuff and be in their rooms. And, you know, it was my last week of vacation. I was going to sleep in. And I can probably, you know, squeeze a 50 cents or so out of my mom or my grandma or something like that and get a candy bar if I get real hungry. And so for the first, you know, four days or so of, of this, my mom was very smart. She went to my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and said, don't give them that any money, Right he's got those cheese crackers. I told him he has to get up and eat this brunch. So for the first four days, I didn't get up. I missed the brunch, and I ate these cheese crackers. By the fifth day, those cheese crackers were sick. I mean, I was getting orange fingers. It was bad It was bad news, but I still did not want to submit, you know, to my mother. And so I actually went to her, and I said, what's the big deal? You know, give me 50 cents. I just want a Snickers bar. It's there in the vending machine. I can't eat another cheese cracker. And she said, Matt. It would be a whole lot easier if you just did what you're told, if you just submitted. There's you always try to find a loophole. You're always trying to find a, a, a little an easy button or something like this. And and you're trying to do this and this is gonna be sort of your habit, and so I'm gonna break you of this habit. And well I had a strong will and and so I'm just saying, No Mom I'm not gonna do it. And so that last day I didn't get up, of course, and I just decided that I'm gonna go instead of canoeing and hiking and biking and doing all this other stuff with my, with my cousins, I'm going to go in the lobby and check all the seat cushions for change. And the, the change things for these things that I used to have called pay phones, you know, and for about three hours of work, I got my 50 cents, you know, and I'm going to go down and, and I'm going to get my Snickers bar and it's going to be E-11 and I put my money in and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take the Snickers bar, I'm going to beat the system, you know, I found a loophole and I'm going to eat it in front of my mother. That's what I just was going to do. So I put this money in and I pushed E11 and I realized what I did. There was an 11 button down there and I looked up to see what I was getting, what E1 was, and a little bag of cheese crackers fell. So, um, it was horrible, you know. And I think I just left them there because I was just so disgusted, you know. And, I, and I've learned this lesson. And God has been doing this kind of stuff to me all, all my life. Just, Matt, just submit, right? And you look at this, this, this plague of the lice. The the priests, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, they did all kinds of different things, didn't they? To try to make themselves clean, except for what? Except for submission, right? If you're dealing with an issue in terms of unresolved sin, we can be all stubborn, can't we? We can be a little bullheaded. But nothing's going to make you clean except for good old-fashioned repentance and confession, right? We're not going to go into the details of David's sin this afternoon, but there's a period of David's life, a season in which he tried to manipulate the system and sin with Bathsheba and try to cover it up and led to murder and all kinds of blindness in his own life. But finally he was confronted with his sin and it was the only thing that could make him clean. He asked for forgiveness and there was confession. And I just want to read a part of Psalm 51 here this afternoon. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Is there, any, is there any chance that there's not this idea of cleanliness when it comes to removal of sin? <laughs> Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. I did some research on this word, hyssop. It's a plant. It was known for its cleansing properties, but it was also known as, a, as an insecticide. Isn't that interesting, right? You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot all of my iniquities. And probably the verse that we know the best, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Well, let's look at the plague of the fly here this morning or this afternoon, starting here in verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies On you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Again, this is the first time that there is a distinction, a separation. And we should take note of that. In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. That no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign sign shall be. And the Lord did, did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, unto his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. You look at this verse and you go, is, is Pharaoh softening a bit? And the truth is, no, he's playing games. Because he knew, okay, go ahead and worship but stay here. Well, they weren't going to be able to do that. and They would be they're on G- Egyptian turf, right? If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We'll, we will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And Moses is not saying he's coming back. He's just saying, let us go. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far. Intercede for me. Again, he's playing games. He's basically saying, intercede for me. Take away the symptoms of the issue, of the problem, but not really dealing with, with the root of submission and Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, and as soon as the symptoms were gone, right, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also neither would he let the people go well here's some lessons for the flies you like to fill in some blanks only God can give you peace and the place of your fear two possible gods this particular plague is targeting one one God is this God R.E. Ray and he was associated with the the dog fly that was the symbol of him and it's also called a gadfly and it's basically what it is it's a it's so a horsefly on steroids. And, and this thing would land on livestock or it would land on people. And the bite was very it was very painful. And it was very difficult to get it off. It would, it would suck your blood. It was like a mosquito, just a bigger form of mosquito. So that was one possible God. Another possible God is this God called Yucatec. And it took me many times to try to pronounce that correctly, so I'm not going to say it again. Okay? But, so it's this God that is... And it's depicted by this other particular type of fly that's a little more subversive than the than the gadfly or the dogfly, fly, but it, it it kind of lays its its eggs and larvae underneath your skin and then eats you from the inside out. Both of them are bad, aren't they you know and there's, whether it's sucking blood from the inside or eating you from the from the from the inside, it just kind of grows now now why were these why were these gods worshiped well these are the gods that had to do with the things that you can't control. The, the god of the storm, the god of accidents, the god of disaster. And, and if you've ever seen, you know, uh, amulets of, of, of flies, people wear this on their neck. Also priests, what they would do is they would put, put them on end of rods and they would wave them over the people. It was sort of the Egyptian version of a, of a rabbit's foot, Right. You know, you worship these gods and, you know, all the things that you can't control, all the the things that you're concerned about in terms of your health or your kids and and all these various things, you know, making wise choices and, you know, the the, the chariot doesn't cross, you know, the center line. All these different stuff, you know, that I'm sure that they had. The things that you can't control. Worship these gods. They'll protect you. And what God was doing, he was turning, he was flipping the script. And he was saying, these things that you worship that, you, that are coping mechanisms with your fears, well, guess what? Now they're just they're eating you from the inside, and, and, they're, and they're sucking you of your joy, right? Only I can bring peace in the place of your fear, right? So well, here's number two. And all of their attempts imprison you, right? All of us can tend to be a little bit of control freaks, can't we? And there's some coping mechanisms that we all can tend to fall into of the things that that are our fears, that scare us. We all have concerns for our kids. We all have concerns for our health. We have concerns for the country, the economy. And, you know, we want our children to make wise choices. We're concerned about who they're going to marry. The, the, The list goes on of the things that we can't control. And oftentimes we we fall into these coping mechanisms. One of them is starts with a W worry. Right. How many of you are worriers? How many of you are liars? I mean, everybody worries, right? It's this whole idea of it's an attempt to try to get control of something that you don't have control of in the first place. And it's just so productive, isn't it? Worry is just so productive. It just makes all the difference in the world. No, so it doesn't. In fact, the scripture tells us that who, by worrying, can add a single hour, right, you know, to their life, you know. If it's not worry, and this is something maybe guys do perhaps, maybe a little more, but you know, anger you know, when something doesn't go your way at work or, or, or something you can't control or, or your daughter's dating somebody that you don't like and, and she's not listening to you, what, you, you get angry, right? Again, such an effective way to deal with things you can't control, right? Go out and kick the garbage can, you know, punch the accelerator on your car. I mean, whatever you want, just get angry about it because that solves so much, right? So worry, maybe you overeat. You know, maybe you get angry, maybe you overdrink, maybe you overmedicate, pretty pretty much over anything, right? Everybody has a coping mechanism. Well, this was the Egyptian coping mechanism. the things that they thought they couldn't control, let's just go worship, you know, let's just go worship Yucatec. Let's go worship Ray. And then everything's going to be fine. And what God does, he's flipping the script. He's saying, guess what? The things that you thought you can control... They're robbing you of your joy. They're eating you from the inside out, right? But yet, over there on the Goshen side, God was saying, what was he saying? I protect my people. Now, this doesn't mean everything's going to fall into line, but he's going to protect your soul. And when it comes to the fears the things that we tend to do, only God can give you peace. I've been working with a guy who uh, has been going through a divorce, and And um, there's a number of people, obviously, and I'm sure in churches across the country, you know, that that are dealing with divorce. But there was this particular guy that was really, I was just kind of attracted to it, kind of had his heart, and he was a new follower in Jesus, and he was just so raw. And he called me one particular uh, afternoon, I think it was a Thursday, and he said, he said, I'm just hurting, and can I meet with you? And kind of told me his story a little bit. He had been unfaithful in his marriage, and And then she had been unfaithful as a result of that. It was just a mess, right? And he was so new in the faith. And we started meeting together on a regular basis and going over some material and things like this. And he started learning. But there there was something I could just sense. He tried to control everything. In fact, that was a lot of the issues when it came to his marriage. He just tried to control everything. And in many ways, he just thought, you know, I'm doing the right thing. I, I'm giving my life over to Christ. Why isn't he just making this, you know, making my marriage work? Why isn't he changing the heart of my wife? Why isn't he, why isn't he giving you know, peace to my kids? He's got two beautiful children, and they, they had it rough, right? And so we met for about a few months, and, and he was just really struggling, and I knew it was going to come to a head one of these particular days because he just couldn't see how God couldn't do what he wanted him to do. Right? And there was one particular Sunday that he came into church, and, And it was after our first service, and he had his book in his hand, and I could tell he was standing in the back, but he wasn't about to come in. I could tell he was having a rough time. His clothes were kind of hanging off him. I could tell he had eaten probably for days and didn't shave that day, and I could tell he probably had been drinking even. And and so I went up to him after the the service was done, and I said, Hey, how's it going? And he had his book in his hand of this material that we had been going through, And, and he took it, and he pushed it in my chest. And he said, this stuff doesn't work, except he didn't use the word stuff. You know, it started with an S, but it, it was just one of those things where, I mean, everybody just stopped, you know, is out there in the lobby and everybody just stopped and looked and oh, what's going on? Is the pastor going to get in a fist fight? Um... And my elders saw what was going on and they said, hey, man, we're going to go into this other room and pray for him and. You get through the next service. I barely did, you know, to be quite honest. But, but after the service was over and after I calmed down, you know, a little bit, I, I, I gave him a call and I, and I said, his name's Daniel. Um, not Daniel or Dan, Daniel with apostrophe L. Kind of an unusual name. I said, Daniel, how's it going? And, and he said, I was actually ready for a fight, really, to be honest. And, and he said, well, to be honest with you, man, I will you an apology. And I said, well, that's good. You know, I'm, I'm worried to hear it. You know, I, <laughs> And I said that what I was going to do, I was going to go and got, I got into my truck and I was going to go down the highway as fast as I possibly could and I was going to find a tree and I was just going to ram it. I was just going to end it all. And before he did that, he just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it one more shot. And he pulls over on the side of the road and, and he just said, he started listing all these things in his life that were going wrong. My marriage and my kids and my work, my health. I mean, all these things. I mean, pretty much everything in his life was going wrong, out of control. And then he just said this, and he, he's such a new believer that it was, it was so innocent. He doesn't know the Christian phrases yet, but he, he used one. He, he said, and you know what, Matt? I don't know if this is biblical. It's kind of funny how he said that. I don't know if this is biblical, but I have peace. I, I, I don't understand it. Everything in my life is out of control, but I have peace. And then he goes, is that Biblical? And I said, actually, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it, it's quite biblical because having peace doesn't mean everything in terms of our circumstances, just, just falling into line, and, and that's why we have peace. That's not what it's about. It's even when things are out of control, you can still have peace because you have the God of peace. right? In fact, Apostle Paul, he wrote a particular letter to the, to the Philippian church while he was in prison, by the way, right? about peace. And I want to close with this, actually, this afternoon. This is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding... My friend Daniel said, I don't get it, Matt. Is this biblical? Explain it to me. I can't, because Paul can't explain it either. Right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. The reason why peace existed on the Goshen side and peace didn't exist in the Egyptian side is because because they didn't have a God of peace. I want you to bow your heads this afternoon. Father, we were able to look at just two fascinating points of scripture, Lord. These two plagues that dealt with. Dealt with your people, you're sending them a message, you're sending a, you're sending a message to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but you're sending a message to us as well. It's, you're the same God to Moses, you're the same God to David, you're the same God to the Apostle Paul, you're the same God to us. And Father, those messages, those two plagues, they should speak to us. We can tend to be stubborn, we can tend to try to find loopholes, we can tend to deny it, we can tend to do all kinds of different things. But if we're dealing with a particular issue in our life of sin, Nothing can make us clean except for confession and repentance. You are the God that makes us clean. Father, we thank you for that lesson, that reminder. Lord, we also thank you for the reminder that you are the one who protects us. And it doesn't mean everything falls into line in terms of our circumstances, but we are able to have peace of the fears that hinder our life, those things that paralyze us, those worries that keep us up at night. But we can't have peace without the God of peace. So, Lord, if we're dealing with anything in terms of a fear, fear of our health, fear of something with our kids, fear of finances, whatever it may be, Lord, you are the one that even when things are really out of control, you are the God who is in control. And, Lord, we we claim that peace. can't explain it, but we claim claim that peace this afternoon. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Oh, man, we need to have him back more often. We get out early when he speaks. Man, this is great. The usual guy just goes on and on and on. Yeah, can we thank Matt for being here with us tonight? Thank you, Matt. In fact, uh, you know, one of the reasons I love the Bible, and I'm going to guess something in 30 seconds, um, is actually because uh, Matt's parents and Matt's um, relatives actually used to be our children's uh, volunteers for years. So all of our children's program, uh, junior high, high school, otherwise, it was his parents and relatives that taught it. So really, my love for the scriptures came from... Uh, from our, our little church and, and Matt's relatives that just poured into us year after year. So, Thank you, Matt, for being with us tonight. Again, don't forget on your way out, if you came prepared to give financially, there's some offering boxes on the way out. And uh, If you haven't got tickets yet, make sure you grab some tickets because we want to make sure we have some seats for you for Easter. And This year we are going to be collecting the tickets even though they're complimentary to so make sure we have a spot. Thanks again. We'll see you all next week.